episode of Some Bases Covered. All right, so um, uh, I was saying the last time we talked, uh, kind of ended on the note that you weren't hopeful for the political situation in your country. Has anything changed or has it gotten worse? Well, the elections are next year in May. Uh, they're projected to be in May, so we'll only really know then. But uh, it's certainly exciting, and you know, I'm, I'm getting a bit exasperated because it looks like that the arch-evil EFF party, which is the, basically the black fascist party, looks like that they're gaining some support. So that's looking ever scarier. Which part of them is like more like a communist party, but uh, well, that might just be no, misinformation on my part. <laughs> no, no, but the Nazis were also left-wing. The Nazis were a socialist party. The Nazi literally stands for German Workers Socialist Party. I think the issue really with political stuff is it's when you get to something that's controversial, there's a lot of sources and stuff that conflict with each other. Yeah, so I, I must say, I, I need to make a YouTube video about how the, the, the main liberal party in the country has tried to create a multi-party charter with all these other parties to try and make a, a, a group that can ha have coalition government if they, as a group, get the majority votes, which doesn't look likely. It looks more likely that the current ruling party, the ANC, will not have an absolute majority, but will need one coalition partner probably to, to stay in power. So they will either form a coalition with the EFF, which might be the end of the country if they do that, because then we'll become like Zimbabwe or Venezuela. The whole thing will probably collapse because they'll have no property rights. They'll have expropriation without compensation. They'll have reprisals against minorities and things like that. They'll probably have land grabs. I've not kept up with that. <laughs> and what what I really despise is, is is people are really already criticizing the DA, which is the Liberal Party, joining in coalition with the ANC, which is obviously not ideal, but I think that is the best of of a, a, a bad situation, you know, and so I, I hope that the DA will actually form a, a coalition with the ANC, which will be a shit show, but at least won't be doomsday. And people are already complaining that the DA wants to form a coalition with the ANC. And I can't believe these people, they're, they're, I don't know, they're so short-sighted or selfish that they, they want a better outcome, you know, but you know, you have to go with what the, the percentages after the vote tally will be. Um. <laughs> oh, Hanro, what do you uh, think about the ANC and the DA of co being in coalition with each other? Do you think that would be too much of a betrayal? The issue, the issue is, is I don't really see the ANC as one party in a sense. Like, it's kind of fractured into factions, hasn't it? Yes, that's true. So the issue is, is it's not it's not that they're forming coalition, but it's which faction wants the coalition. Which faction does not? That's more, more of the question. Because depending on the faction that wants it, some, one faction might want it for the wrong reasons, or one might want it for noble reasons. Yeah, well, I mean, that's from the ANC perspective. But what about from the DA perspective? Uh, it's. <laughs> yeah, um, DA perspective, yeah. The issue really is, is, yeah, not keeping up with local politics. I should, but it's just. 
Um, it's just been business as usual for me mostly. So there's not been any real reason to keep up. Can I ask you a personal question? Who are you voting for? Oh, and DA. Okay, good. So at least we have some chance. At least in the Western <laughs> Cape. You know, there's a referendum party now that, that want us to vote for a referendum uh, to make the Western Cape independent from the rest of the country, which I think would actually be the best outcome for the Western Cape, at least. I think if I remember back to my school days, I actually had the same idea. Like, if there's so many problems in the country, then why don't we just split off? But it has its own issues as well, so it's not as cut and dry. Is are we self? Is the Western Cape self-sufficient? Would it survive well, we have, on its own? We have a national power grid, so that would have to be sort of localized to some degree. But I mean, we are generally speaking. I mean, we're a net contributor to the fiscus, so we actually get less of our tax money for the West, for the people of the Western Cape. When, when our money comes back to us, get it, when it gets reapportioned to us by the national government. Mm -hmm. um. <laughs> but I mean, we've got the Steenbrust Dam, we've got, uh, we used to have coal power stations all over the place. Some of them were converted into museums. It's stupid. Well, not really stupid. The issue really with coal power and stuff like that, it's dirty and if you're far from a mining facility it can be a bit unreliable if if there's a break in any if there's a break in coal delivery it can take weeks to get a power plant back to a state where it's actually producing power that's why when stuff happens like coal is wet or something like that it takes weeks of load shedding to get us back to stability because the issue of power coal power is if those plants go down it can take two or three weeks before a power plant is operational again. Oh. Um, if you're asking for my source for this, um, it's actually ESCOM themselves. I, w I w went on a tour of Kuberg um, as a student, and the lady there actually told us the entire situation of what would happen in a doomsday scenario where the power grid fails. And yeah, put a new perspective on load shedding, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. If you want, I can tell you the story I was told. Sure. Okay, so in this doomsday scenario, we overtax the grid and the grid goes down. That means every power power company, every power plant in the country stops production for an unknown amount of time because the grid has failed. Which will result in about a few months of non-power. Because what would happen is, is coal power plants actually need to have, actually need power to start. So they'll actually have to convert the power plants that can go on just like that. They have to convert their output to the coal power plants to get them started again. And then it will take a few weeks for them to actually start producing power again. At that point, I think we would have collapsed into anarchy. Because I don't, I don't know of a business in South Africa that could survive a month of power. Yeah, thank goodness that hasn't happened yet. The, the issue really with load shedding is it's unfortunate that that we fail to keep up with demand, but it's a necessary evil at this stage to ward off that potential doomsday. Um, unfortunately, yeah, that's the only positive thing I can say about ESCO. <laughs> sure. In my opinion, it, it would actually be better if they just become a middle a middleman, essentially, 
where they handle buying up power from private power companies and handle sell it, selling it back to the residents of the country. Because that's the only way I can see that happening without creating a monopoly, without one power company potentially become a monopoly in a region. Yeah. So, in my opinion, it's the thing that has to happen is the laws that gives ESCOM a monopoly on power generation needs to start going away. And they need to actually start basically buying and selling electricity. Uh, it's, it's terrible how politically they still haven't even managed that. that they've still got barriers in place. They haven't moved it, at all yet. It, it honestly feels like they're dragging their feet. Well, like they do on everything. And then the other thing that's happen, happening, political, uh, happening politically is that they are collapsing the private medical industry with the NHI bill. They're going to centralize and uh, nationalize all health delivery. I think the whole middle class will will leave the country if you don't have private healthcare in, in the country. Because right now we've got public we've got a, a public healthcare system which we all pay for with our taxes. But then most people that can afford it have private health insurance and will go to private healthcare providers. So it ends up creating also an extra because you know when private when you have the kind of private healthcare delivery, it takes a lot of burden off the state's resources. So there's a there's already a kind of double taxation going on here for people that uh, enjoy private healthcare. For some reason, that's not good enough. They, they they want access to the private health insurance funds in the country. So they're trying to nationalize it so they can absorb all those funds. And I I think the ruling party is just desperate for money. They just need to get their hands on money. Yeah. That's well, one thing I do know is insurance companies hate paying money, so that's... Uh, I think they can try, but I'm sure that someone's going to figure out a loophole already. Now, the only thing stopping things like this from happening are basically the courts and our constitutions. Mm. They'll say that we have constitutional rights to freedom of enterprise and freedom of trade and, and you know, that it's going to get... You know, that the state can't enforce people to work for it and people can't be forced to procure goods from the state. You know, that that's all un unconstitutional. And in all likelihood, I think the cor courts will probably just save us in the end. They, they have on a lot of issues, but there, mm. there's also the problem of court capture because a lot of the Cater Deployment Committee has been installing judges, politicized judges, into the judiciary, like sleeper cells. And eventually yeah. they're going to get promoted into the higher courts and then they're going to be able to control the precedent that comes out of the courts. It's quite scary. Yeah, but I'm sure we're not the only country that's dealt with something like this. And look, if you look at the US, we're not. So I think it has, I think they can try, but I think it, I think a scheme like that has a larger potential to backfire. Because if you're in already in that position, you have less of an incentive to follow the whims of the people that put you in that position. I guess that's true, unless you are ideologically already captured, as it were. Yeah, and in that case, there's a there's also a chance of there's also a chance of malpractice also playing a role. Well, sadly, the impeachment process for a judge is all political. 
and we mm. sadly were getting more and more racialist black sort of fascists controlling our political system and if the EFF go in coalition with the ANC we're going to get that on steroids you know it's going to be scapegoating the white minority for everything and uh, probably genocide uh, good thing I have a Dutch passport <laughs> it's just making jokes to lighten the situation uh, I, I do get that but you're lucky I don't have any foreign passports I'm royally screwed well, maybe I Australia mean, will open itself up I know that Australia already said that they'll accept farmers. Anything can happen. Maybe Trump will be in power and he will uh, allow South African refugees. Uh, I somehow doubt that. Um, he's, got, he's got pretty good polling at the moment. It looks like he's going to win. Isn't he the guy that said to build a wall? That's more my concern on that matter. Like if you're going American yeah. politics, historically the Democrats have been more open to um, open to refugees and stuff. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think the Democrats are going to be open to white refugees. I don't think they'll care. Yeah, weirder stuff has happened. It will be interesting because I mean, like from 1994, the country was such a beacon in the world for you know non-racialism and. If the country fails, it's almost like a repudiation of those that well, already people in the West have thrown away non-racialism and believe in identity politics now. So I don't know, it's quite scary. We live in a, in a completely new worldscape. I, I, I don't get people's morality I mean, anymore. I mean, if you look at the grand scheme of things, every 10 years things change. If you go back 10 years, the world will... It's actually only in the last 10 years things have actually started to slow down, to be honest. If you go back 20 years and you go back 10 years from that 20-year point, the world between those two points will be completely unrecognizable. Do it again and you get the, there's a pattern. I think it's between the... If you look at the, the on the advancement of technology, the changing in world cultures and all that stuff where we've gone through a massive amount of social and ecological change in the last 100 years of humankind's existence if you look at the grand scale i don't know if i buy ecological change i, I don't believe in any of that stuff uh global warming yeah i i mean the, the world is getting warmer but that's because we're coming out of the little ice age and I, I think it's completely natural it's no it's the issue more is is that we're producing more we're basically burning up all plant fossils that lived thousands of years ago that absorbed a ton of co2 that was in the air yeah but then you just get more plants because you have more co2 it's plant food it's not that simple the issue is is in the in the billions or millions of years since that period i think they call it the carboniferous period uh, microbes and stuff has have evolved. The thing that made the carboniferous the carboniferous is because the the there didn't exist microbes in that time period. So if the tree felt dead, it just stayed dead. The matter in the tree didn't get recycled; it was stuck in the tree. And those billions of trees dying is what we find today as coal deposits, fossil fuels, oils, all that stuff. 
a period like the Gulf of Nisbet would never happen again. And we're basically burning up all the oil that was captured during that time, or basically all the CO2 that was captured during that time. That's what makes global warming significant. But if you actually look at the CO2 levels, they're not that high. In fact, they were dangerously low. It was always um, dangerous for plant life. Yeah, I don't think it, to remember about global warming and that stuff. It's not. It's not to save the planet. Let's just make that clear. That's just something people say as marketing gimmick. The planet doesn't care. It will continue to exist. Animals have existed far worse for catastrophes than this than global warming has ever caused. The thing that we're actually saving is the human race, because a plant, a plant species might die out, and a new one might replace it in a few million years. But if that plant species is wheat, we're screwed. I don't think wheat is under any pressure from global warming. It's just an example of things dying in the short term that basically screw us in the long term. The other thing to remember is most of our cities are built right on coastlines. If the water rises, even I think even Cape Town, a majority of Cape Town is actually built under sea level due to what the Dutch did, uh, basically because of. Basically, the Dutch drained out the, the, what the Dutch did, and they drained out some of the, the ocean to, to expand the land that was available to Cape Town. So some of Cape Town's actually under sea level. If the water rises, it could overflow those embankments. And yeah, now we have an underwater Cape Town. I'll eat my hat when I see it. I, I don't know. They always talk about the sea level rising, and they stop talking about it. And I think that's because it's not happening. I think the thing to remember is I've, I've also following my reading is, is the last 10 years we've actually started turning the tide on, on global warming to its extent. The issue of global warming, it looks between it looks mostly at the years between 2000 and 2010. And during that time, we were basically going through a computer revolution. So there was a lot of factories, a lot of smog, a lot of um, extra production going on but in the last last 10 years that's actually been slowing down so if actually the amount of garbage we're pumping into the atmosphere is actually getting less it's just the, the rate of increase is getting less but it's still increasing it's still increasing but if it's increasing by less we're extending the amount of time we have to do something it's like I said it's a game of ensuring human survival if if we if if we allow global warming to continue it could cause crop failures that means millions starve that means um, entire populations have a much harder life now i mean i get the narrative i just don't believe it i mean every polymath that i've heard from that talks uh, any polymath that, that i actually put any stock in like for example roger penrose He's a physicist. He's also he he made the, the machine modeling systems that all the climate models are based on. He 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 says that there's there's nothing to any of this climate scaremongering. The other thing to remember is is if the climate temperature of the ocean rises, it can actually hold less oxygen, which also is bad fish, which is now not a potential issue. Deeper waters cause issues to reefs and all that stuff. It it's a lot. There's a lot more to simulate than just simple um, sea levels rising. 
that's more of my point. It's it's a more complex question than just what state yeah, of the I mean, media. The, the weather is incredibly complex, but if you just look at like the average temperature over the last 1,000 years, I mean, it's all over the place, and that's got nothing to do with humanity. Oh, <laughs> it does kind of, because in the last thousand years, we've actually went through an industrial revolution. Okay, well then, it, the last the eight hundred years before the last two hundred years, I mean, if you if you just look at that, the the temperature, as I say, goes all over the place, and that that has nothing to do with anthropomorphic effects. Well, then you have to take into account is the readings we're getting accurate. I'm not sure about you, but just as well, you're skeptical about modern scientists, I think there's also some skeptic to be given to pre-modern era recording technology. It's, it, well, it's not recording technology. It's, they take it from core samples in the um, Arctic or something. They drill down and then they measure the, the contents of the atmosphere trapped in the ice. Uh, that, that is fair. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's also why they stopped calling. Wait, uh, okay, now I remember. I think that's also why they stopped calling it global warming. Actually, if I call now, it's been changed to climate change because of the it changes more of the weather patterns and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's. I was just gonna say my one frustration with the whole global global case, at least the politics regarding it, is the insinuation that me change reducing my carbon footprint by even like. I don't know, like, say I reduce my carbon foot by like 100%, right? Meanwhile, China's just out there like, brr. That is one of the scams, I think, in this entire climate change thing is it's individually, you're just, you're, you're a speck of dust in terms of, of carbon footprints. Like, yeah, if a lot of dust does something, you get a sandstorm and that's significant, but. I mean, I, 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 I see it too, it's too politically convenient because Everything else is moving towards centralization, this kind of strange left-wing authoritarianism, you know, like the, the narrative, you know, like the COVID jab and all these sorts of things. It, it's all like trust the science, trust the scientists and follow the, the corporate line. I don't know. To me, it's too much of that. And it, it, this is part of the psychological psyop that I see is, is, is the climate catastrophe because it means that you don't look at yourself as an individual anymore. You have to see yourself as part of a population that has to be controlled. Like, you know, it justifies that kind of authoritarian control way too much. Okay. I think to explain this next point, I have to actually explain my political views on stuff. My political view is basically free market with government intervention. What I mean by that is, you have a right to, to have a shop, you have a right to sell a product, you have a right to have a service so good that nobody wants to compete with you. But as soon as you take steps to harm your competition, that's when I draw a line. If that makes sense. Oh, it's like the, it's like, it's like what America, pre American politics preaches, but doesn't actually execute on. Basically, yeah. It's fine to let a free market do its thing, but you have to have some type of... You can't have anarchy. You have to have some type of oversight to stop people from cheating the system. America is such a strong democracy, though. I always think that that's, that's the problem that it has, uh, that it needs more groups like... What was it? The... Um, uh, 
the Tea Party Convention. What do they call themselves? The Tea I, Party. I, basically, two party state with two extremist parties that, if you're in the middle, you, you have nobody to agree or disagree with. It's too. There should be. It, it would be better if there were more parties to actually have a more more gradient of black and white. If that makes sense. No, but there are ways to reform a political party from the inside. You just have to have a very strong kind of um, value-based group of people. Like what were they called? The Tea Party group pe people. What would you say, Stone? Green Party. No, no, no. It, 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 they weren't a political party. They were like a, a grassroots... I think they were called the Tea Party people or something like that. It, it's like a subset of Republicans were, were Tea Party people. Oh. Uh, libertarian? <laughs> yeah, they were uh, like more libertarian, but they... they they wanted, they, the reason why they call themselves the Tea Party was because it, it was after, you know, the the thing that started the Civil War um, for in, the War of Independence, you know, when they uh, threw uh, the tea into the river or something. Uh, a revolution has worked exactly once in human history, and that was the Americans. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in France, it built resulted in beheadings in germany it resulted in world war ii in russia it resulted in starvation so yeah yeah the bolshevik revolution was very destructive on that note this one's been a ride fellows you truly got to hear a late night conversation with the boys so thanks for listening thanks for subscribing we'll see you next time